Hello Bulls fans, hope you're all doing well out there. It's Mark here. Fred isn't with me, but he will be with you shortly. I say that because we have part two of his discussion, his interview with Darnell Mabry of The Athletic coming up. If you haven't listened to part one just yet, head over to Chicago Bullseye. Wherever you can get all your podcasts, wherever you can find Bulls HQ, you will find Chicago Bullseye. That is C Red Fred, a.k.a. Fred Fife's standalone Bulls podcast. If you want to tune into more Bulls podcasts, head over and find Chicago Bullseye. Once you're done listening to all your Bulls HQ episodes, Fred recently had on Darnell Mabry of The Athletic on his pod. That was split up into two parts. You can find part one on the Chicago Bulls iFeed. Part two is right here on Bulls HQ. You can listen to part two very shortly, but if you haven't, go listen to part one first on Fred's feed, then come back here. Listen to part two. Listen to Darnell Mabry. Speak some wisdom and educate my Fred Fred on all things Tom Thibodeau, The Last Dance, and plenty more. But tune in for part two coming up now. Fred and I will be back later in the week with our regularly programmed Bulls HQ. We'll see you on Monday. Speak soon, Bulls fans. But until then, here's Fred and Darnell Mabry. Hello, this is Nick Friedel, and you're listening to Fred and Mark. You're, you are one of the most popular people who cover the Bulls, without a doubt, and in, in and it's, it's obviously why you're an incredibly talented writer. You're well-respected by all members of Bulls Nation, from Dog Bull Nation to the leaders of Sea Red Nation. Um, but that's why I found it so heartbreaking when you gave credence to this Bring Back Tibbs movement. Uh, <laughs> personally, I don't, I, I, I just, I, I don't want that guy any, anywhere near this team. I'd like first to hear your thinking behind it, why you think he would be the best choice for the Chicago Bulls moving forward. Well, let me clarify you on something, Fred. I never said bring back tip, tips. Okay. So your your and point that, was that was the big mistake. The was mistake was letting him go. And maybe you could argue the mistake maybe not was letting him go, but who you brought in after and where, where you went after. Yes. Yes. But, but the mistake, my contention was the mistake was letting him go. I never contended that they should bring him back. If they wanted to, fine by me. I mean, he's better than what they had the last five years. I but, don't know about that. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> he's wait a, a minute. I think he's a disaster right now. I think the game's passed him by. I think, uh, and you know, when it gets down to it, people are, I know there's a lot of people who really dislike my stance on this, but when it gets down to it, I think the guy uh, jeopardized player health of some key players in the past for meaningless regular season wins. And that's something I just can't get over. And he, he, is, he showed no indication of moving on from that in Minnesota to the point, like I, I, I find it almost like I just can't, I just can't believe that he's still beloved and defended for some of the things he pulled. Jimmy Butler played 48 minutes in a preseason game. Like if I was the owner of a team and that happened, I would have fired the guy immediately. I don't care how much I owed him. What are you doing playing a player in the rotation 48 minutes in a preseason game? You know, that team was incredibly talented, and he just he, he went through these guys. And Noah, the reason Noah's not even in the league anymore, Rose definitely suffered due to being overplayed. I, and, and, you know, Dang tore wrist ligaments in the fourth quarter of a Bulls win over the Bobcats in 2012. That was a team that finished 7-59. What is Luol Dang playing in the fourth quarter 
of a game against the Bobcats. You know, that, it just happened over and over again. Fred, it's clear that you have drawn your line in the sand on this one. <laughs> but Tibbs is better than Jim Boylan and Fred Hoiberg. Let's He's just definitely get down. better. Come on. He's so, definitely better than Boylan, but there was a, I, it was a, in, your, in your publication, in, in The Athletic, there was a NBA, or who, what coach would you at least like to play for? Boylan was two. Tibbs was one for a team that we need to get free agents in here. Why would we burden our new executive team with Tom Thibodeau as the head coach? Yeah, like I said, I never, I never campaigned for him coming up. First of all, I've, I haven't campaigned for anyone to get any job. I don't yeah. believe, but uh, I didn't, I didn't campaign for that. I just think that uh, the reasoning that they gave, and then you know where they were as a franchise at the time, uh, to to kind of make him the fall guy. That didn't make any sense. That was silly, and it looks like a terrible mistake in hindsight. Uh, I know a lot of people were in on letting him go at the time, so you don't even need to be a revisionist here. But um, you know, look at where look at where they are, and I mean, I, I just don't see how anyone could argue that making that move and then the subsequent moves that follow, you know, like that trading Jimmy, like maybe so much of that didn't have to happen. If you kept what you you know what you had and realized we're losing to a once in a generation player, yeah. Well, the thing is though that people forget is that Jimmy didn't want to play for Tibbs in, at the end of 2015. His he had hit his expiration date with almost every player in that team outside of Taj Gibson, and that's what I heard. You know, like to me, like this Adrian Griffin should be the Bulls' next head coach. He's by far the best candidate. I That's who I want to be coaching the Bulls. And there's such a large swath of the fan base that wants to go back, continually look back, and bring in the 60-plus-year-old Tom Thibodeau, who did nothing in Minnesota, who was a complete disaster. He traded draft asset after draft asset for 1.5 years with Jimmy Butler and one playoff win. Like, I don't want well, him that, anywhere. That one team. playoff win was their only playoff appearance in 14 years so i think you do have to give them credit for that okay. and now keep in mind i am the same guy who wrote that uh i thought he shouldn't have had derrick rose in the game when when amen. everything went south amen um you know and, and I, I think a lot of people disagree with me on that but you know there are some people who see it my way and uh i just didn't see the point in having rose in the game with a minute something left and they were up you know nine ten points whatever it was now you could obviously say that a comeback was within reach for Philly, but I, I just, it felt to me watching that game live, and I was a huge fan of Derrick Rose from afar, that the game was in hand. And uh, so you make up, you make valid points uh, about how he played, guys. But going back to what I said about, about Jim Boylan, you know, if you have a guy who's uh, communicate, communicative uh, and, and has great cooperation, you know, maybe Tibbs has learned something. You know, just because he played, coached a certain style back then, maybe doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to coach that way now. Uh, you know, maybe because he played a lot of guys, a lot of minutes back then, doesn't mean that he's not going to be adaptable now. I wouldn't, you know, if it was my job to hire him, would I hire him to take a chance? Probably not. I'd like, uh, Probably not. I'd like to believe that was true, but in 2017, in April, that 31-win Timberwolves team had a back-to-back to end the season. And that guy <laughs> played Carl Anthony Towns in a back-to-back. Carl Anthony Towns, he played him 40 minutes and 36 minutes in the final two games of that season, both losses. To me, 
It was the most egregious example of a head coach. I, I've never seen anything so incredibly stupid, and that includes Boylan with all his idiotic timeouts. Why are you playing your best player 40 and 36 minutes in a back-to-back of a season when you should be trying to lose? And I'll never understand. Nobody was paying attention. I pay attention to everything that guy does. I just I feel like it would be a disaster if, if, if Adrian Griffin was not the next Bulls head coach. Well, what, uh, what let, me say this. let me say this to you, Fred. I, I think Adrian Griffin's a lot closer to getting that job than Tom Thibodeau. Thank I don't think you have anything Lord. to worry about. Thank the Lord. And what have you heard about Adrian? Do you agree with me that he'd be a great choice? I mean, I think he's a great candidate. I don't know. If, I mean, sure. I mean, you could say um, he's, a, he's a great candidate, um, but you never just like these guys in the front office. You never know until they get in the job and actually do it. Good point. You know, I think a lot of people thought Fred Hoiberg was going to be a solid candidate. And that, for various reasons, not solely due to Fred Hoiberg, but it didn't work out. So, man, it sounds like ownership still thinks Jim Boylan has some sort of positive virtues that are worth retaining. And, um, you oh, know, he got in there and we're, we're saying that it's, it's not there. So, Adrian Griffin could or he could be, you know, be another flame out. But uh, from everything I'm hearing, he sounds like he is the right person for the for this job at the right time, and the Bulls could benefit greatly from from bringing him on. I hope he's the coach because I've heard nothing but stellar things about the guy, and I think he's a leader of men, and that's what we need right now. And Jim Boylan is the village idiot, and just having a guy like this who's a leader of men. I, and I, Boylan's a nice guy. I don't want to say he's a dummy. He just is clearly not, you know. I think you the, just called him a village idiot. <laughs> I didn't mean to say I should. That was probably a little strong. I'm just saying yeah. when somebody asks him about Denzel Valentine, the answer, because I said so, is not an appropriate answer for a, a head coach in 2019 and 20. So, you know, that kind of stuff I just I have no patience for. So he's, he's I don't want to say village idiot. That was wrong. He's, he's a just a village average guy. He shouldn't be head coach in the league. Last question. You've been more than generous with your time. I apologize about that. Please don't tell coach that. Um, the last dance. I want to get a, get from your viewpoint. And you you grew up as a Wizards fan, right? What what was your team? Yeah, the Wizards were on my team. It was my first NBA game when I was like in middle school, uh, and I when it, back when they were the Bullets, obviously. And then um, I stuck with them, and uh, here I am. Miserable. Do you remember Michael with the with the Wizards? Yeah, I remember Michael with the Wizards, which you know I didn't appreciate how, and maybe it's because I'm in Chicago now. But and I wrote this thing yesterday in our recap uh, of of this week's episodes. You know, now all of a sudden everyone wants to praise what he did in baseball when the whole world was kind of mocking him. And again, maybe it's because I'm in Chicago now, but. You know, now people want to appreciate that, but I can't appreciate what I saw him do with the Wizards as a 36, 37-year-old man, 38-year-old man. What I thought he did with the Wizards was amazing. And I, I've always – you will never hear me say a bad word about Michael Jordan. He's the greatest. I get laughed at when I bring up Jordan's time with the Wizards. It was incredible. Was he Air Jordan at the time? No, but what he did was incredible. And just like people are appreciating, I guess now or maybe in Chicago, always did what he did in baseball – to you know, not have picked up a bat in so long, I appreciated what he did with the layoff uh, and old age relatively going and doing what he did with the Wizards. He was phenomenal, especially in that first year. He averaged over 20 points. It's like, 
I, I want to find out who these people who are making fun of you because I can break them on Twitter and, and, uh, and, and target them for destruction because no one makes fun of Michael. Um, what are some of the revelations in this doc that have stuck with you, stuff that you didn't know? Is there a lot or is there just a little? I mean, it's little tidbits. And, you know, again, being young at the time, especially the, the early three-peat, the first three-peat, um, you know, I didn't, didn't comprehend everything. And, and unlike a lot of, uh, you know, diehard, hardcore Bulls fans, I, you know, I haven't digested every piece of material. So, you know, little things like Jerry Krause simply asking Jerry Reinsdorf to be Bulls GM coming over from the White Sox. Like, that's how easy it was to become a GM in those <laughs> days. Like, that, yeah. that blew my mind. Um, the Jordan uh, minute restriction that, that really drove him up the wall early in his career. Um, you know, hearing some of these stories of the slights, uh, you know, those things, but really just Jordan's realness that we're seeing in this and his rawness, like that's, that's what's really standing out to me, uh, seeing him make himself vulnerable. And I thought he, you know, he made a great point and, and that one was an episode seven at the end. He said, I don't have to do this. Yeah. Um, you know, but he's doing it and he's showing us a, a different side of him. In so many different ways, and I, I just really appreciate that about the documentary. Yeah, and Darnell, as somebody who grew up in Chicago, I remember the time when we were known as nothing but losers. We had one '85 Bears team that really, in retrospect, should have won more. It was almost a failure in the fact they didn't win more, and that was it for about two decades. And he single-handedly destroyed every negative, uh, you know, connotation with Chicago as a second city from 1991 to 1998 and I will always be grateful for it and there's nothing that anyone could ever say or do to make me you know love Michael Jordan any less what he has done for this city will never ever be erased and uh, everybody in the whole city I think it should be mandatory every year send him a thank you note I think it should be a law <laughs> I uh, think I think they do that by buying two hundred dollars pairs of shoes. <laughs> but those <laughs> shoes are awesome. Have you seen the Jordan Elevens, Carolina Blue? They're the best they shoes are. ever made. Um, they are. <laughs> that's a, this is awesome, Darnell. I can't thank you enough for jumping on with us. And uh, I'd like to get one final question, if that's okay. I just like your prediction. If we bring these guys back next year, and we get a real functioning coach. Is it possible that you can see this team becoming a? You know, a playoff team, not only a playoff team, maybe a team that can get into the second round. I'm not going to share your optimism again, Fred. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> they got to prove it to me. I saw something where Zach Levine said something on, on social media today where he's talking about they got to come out hungry and have this killer mentality or something. I don't, I'm like, Zach, just don't even, don't even talk anymore. Just go out there and do it. You know, we know what you have to do. Everyone knows what this team has to do. And I'm tired of hearing about it. Um, you know, I want to see them go out there and do it. And until they do, I, you know, I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm not going to believe that Larry Markkinen can take the next step. I'm not going to believe that, you know, Wendell or even Zach can, can raise their games uh, until they show me. Like, I believe in their potential, but they've got to go out there and prove it. And they got to show that they're committed to you know, on both ends and doing it for three minutes and doing it for 82 games. And until then... I'm going to look at them as a non-playoff team. I'm going to look at them as, oh. as a team of, you know, individual talents who are all, again, talented in their own right, but as a whole, they just have yet to be able to put it together. Now, how much does the coach factor into that? A ton. And we're going to see who they get in here, um, you know, if not for this season, then potentially next season. And, and we'll see how much of a difference that makes. But these guys got to have some sort of level of commitment and dedication 
to going out there and saying enough is enough. Aren't you seeing that with Kobe? I mean, look at the improvements that kid made this year. Do you feel like he's he's one of those guys, a shining light that's going to hopefully lead these guys out of the wilderness? Yeah, but, I mean, he's got to work on becoming a more efficient scorer. Yeah. Um, you know, he's got to become a little bit better of a finisher. He, you know, he improved on those things a little bit. He's got to be able to get get a little bit better off the dribble and, um, you know, being able to get by his man and, and break down his opponent in the half court. Like, he's got a lot of room for growth, which is to be expected. He was a rookie, and he showed great signs throughout his rookie season. Um, but, I mean, is he? do I look at him as the guy who's going to lead this team? Not just yet. Well, to wrap this up, I, I can't thank you enough again for your time here, Darnell. But I think you've joined the, you know, followed the Chicago Bulls at a great time. And the next three years, you're going to write the next formative book, something similar to Jordan Rules, about how this team uh, turned into a championship, you know, it's the seventh title. And three years, free... where are we on the seventh? Where are we on, on the seventh scale? <laughs> well, here, here's, here's all the sevens that you need to know. There's seven okay. letters in Michael. There's seven letters in Arturus. In 1986, Michael Jordan was on a minutes limit of seven minutes per half. We had seven pick in 17, seven pick in 18, seven pick in 19, seven pick this year, apparently, if things go to form. Uh, that's all I got right now. But within the next three years, we'll be getting our seven title. You heard it from me first, and I cannot wait to read the book. I, you have to write a book when they, <laughs> when, they, when they win it, right? I mean, I'm buying it. I'll, I'll be on your PR tour if you need it. I mean, I'm ready to talk. Well, this nobody's is... going to buy the Jim Boyle and Fred Hoiberg <laughs> book. Yeah. Can, oh, that's one other thing I wanted to ask you. Can I interview you for – I'm doing a doc on the three alphas. Can you uh, – would you mind doing a little – a couple segments? I mean, I wasn't here for it, but oh. if you want me, I'm here for you, Fred. <laughs> well, we can talk you some know, of the uh, opposing, opposing viewpoint. You know, my second day on the job was when was when Bobby Portis punched Nico. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding that, me? Yeah. Yeah, and everyone raves about Michael Jordan's punching Steve Kerr and Will Perdue and all those guys. It's a little bit different when Bobby punches Nico. <laughs> now, in retrospect, can, can we come clean? Were you there for that? Like, did you see it happen? No, none of us were there. It was. It happened. Uh, I can't remember if it happened. I think it happened. I don't remember if we talked to him and then it happened after we all left. Or if it happened and then we didn't know about it. Um. But it happened, and we weren't there later. Yeah. So I yeah, always argue that it was a hell of a second day. I don't know if you read my uh, transformative uh, or you know world-shattering seven most overrated bulls. I had Nico Miritich. Set, where, oh, there you go with the number seven. Seven is your favorite number, isn't it? You didn't hear about well, my two the two most underrated players of all time were, in my opinion, Ben Gordon and Tony Kukoc. Underrated bulls of all time. They both wore yeah. number seven. There's just something magical about that number, and the Bulls should have won a seven title in 99. Now, you know, we're waiting to see when that seven title will occur. But regardless, the most overrated was Nico Miritich. Did you feel like the team after that punch supported Bobby or Nico? You know, I'm different. I thought a lot of people felt like they sided with Bobby. I thought they, um, I mean, the, the guy got suspended for what was it, seven, eight games? Seven, um, probably. You know, seven. Yeah, here we go again. I think, <laughs> I, please, I think it was eight. I think it was eight, Fred. But I mean, come on, that comes at a cost. You know, the guy wasn't wasn't getting those game checks. Yep. Uh, you know, like he, he he had to sit out. He, he was a disappointment to his teammates. He was took a hit. You know, his his uh, reputation took a hit. So 
it's not like and, and they blame both sides. I mean, they said both players were at fault. So I didn't see it as the, the team choosing one side or the other. I saw them as both players. I mean, this is what they said. Both players were at fault. Uh, Nico paid the price with his jaw or cheekbones and yeah. and and uh, and having to miss a month and a half or whatever it was. And Bobby paid the price with his game checks and and the suspension. So having to come out and publicly apologize, losing his some of his, his reputation, which, you know, for some wasn't maybe great anyway, but uh, that really put it over the top. So I, I always saw it as the organization was, I thought, as fair as possible and and kind of being down the middle. The last question I had, in your time here in Chicago, what was the best and worst move in retrospect of the Garpax era? That would be your time here, so that would be, you know, the uh, Nico punch going forward. Yeah, Not a lot of light uh, there. I feel free if you feel like looking back, say something that really stands out. Obviously, the the greatest four moves were the Butler draft pick, the the Rose draft pick, the Noah draft pick, and the uh, I'd say Lou Dang trade. So not the Cameron Payne trade? <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? No. We got well, you like Cameron Payne, right? You, I no, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know him like that. I just thought that the guy had a rough start to a, a professional career and tried to paint the picture. But, um, um, you know, so none of it for me is about, you know, who it's I not like personal. In, in that sense. Yeah, it's not personal. Um, like I did say this to to some of our readers in our comment section, like Zach makes the job easier. That's the thing about it. like Zach's fun to watch. They'd be terrible without him. So you know, of course, you're gonna appreciate anything or anyone who makes your job more pleasant. Yeah. I don't care who you are, or what you do. And for for us as beat writers, Zach Levine makes the job um, more pleasant. And you know, that's it. watching him on the floor. That's uh, talking to him in the locker room after the game. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think you just appreciate have a greater appreciation for for anything or anyone who makes your job more more pleasant. Um, but I think the, to answer your question, Fred, I mean, I, I would probably have to go with the Otto Porter trade uh, just because they got such an asset in Otto. Uh, even though I, you know, I thought the the trade wasn't the best, just because they gave up a second round pick as opposed to getting uh, some sort of compensation when they were taking on the bloated contract, um, which is what you normally see teams get in, in salary dumps when the Wizards needed to dump Otto Porter. Um, um, yeah. But to, to turn Jabari Parker and uh, Bobby Portis. Uh, who's the other guy? Bobby Portis. Uh, Bobby Portis into, into you know, a, a premier Three-point shooter. I mean, that's I think the best trade. Am I missing something? I think that the worst. I don't know. But what what am I missing on the best? Is there one well, I'm missing? I'd say Zach Levine when they matched that contract from the Kings. I think in retrospect that was a fantastic move. I think trading Nico for a first-round pick, you know, in in Hutch, you know, still the jury's out on him. I like him a lot. I think he's got a great future ahead of that overrated stiff Nico. Uh, you know, I I think there's there, I love the Wendell Carter pick. I love the Kobe White pick, and you know people wanted Mo Bamba had a Wendell Carter. I my big point here is in retrospect, you know, Gar Pax rightly so has been you know really uh, ridiculed over the past few years. I just think their worst move was hiring Boylan as a head coach. I think that's by far the worst move they made um, over the. I thought they've drafted pretty well over the course of their you know almost two decades, but it was time to move on. Don't get me wrong, but. 
you know, I think in retrospect it's going to be hard to beat Rose, Noah, who they essentially got for Eddie Curry. They were able to switch that draft pick with the Knicks. Um, and then Jimmy Butler at 30. I mean, you're going to go see that that would be the best pick for the next two decades. Yeah, I'm with you. And I'm with you on the worst as well. Uh, not so much that they fired Fred when they did and promoted Jim, which is a whole separate discussion and issue. But obviously giving him the, the full job without even doing a coaching search uh, and just assuming that he was the guy and I should maybe I'm being a little unfair saying assuming they they saw the guy work the rest of that eighteen nineteen season so they knew what they what they had uh, and were able to evaluate off of that but um, yeah. to not to not even think that okay maybe we can do better uh, and go out looking for it that that to me was probably the biggest mistake I don't like how he doesn't he treats you guys you and KC and he he loves Collie well Collie's writing these comic books about him like he's a good coach he's not a good coach you know like it's I, I that really irritates me how he is in the post game am i wrong in, in what i'm seeing here it's it seems like he gives like deference to cowley or at, it treats him like and, and i'm not trying to rip on cowley i disagree with a lot of what he's written over the last two decades he's not my favorite beat writer but you know it, that's just my opinion but do you see what I'm seeing? Like, I'm like, why is this guy being elevated in Jim Boylan's eyes when there's superior writers that are not being given the deference they need or that they, they deserve? Well, I mean, yeah, I see it. I live it, obviously. But, you know, I think the one thing in this business, it's all about relationships and, you know, who you have relationships with, who you can form close relationships with. Uh, and, you know, Jim Boylan feels comfortable. Uh, with certain people and and maybe not as comfortable with others and you know you do the best you can to work around it and um you know i mean that's that's pretty much where i'd leave it you just do the best you can to work around it and and jim's been i mean you know i I, again i live it so i understand what you're saying but you know i don't i don't write that punch clock story without jimbo taking me in and like you know giving me some time and and walking me through some things so Regardless of whatever his um, his stance or attitude was in the in season, uh, you know he's always kind of treated me um, uh, with respect in terms of making making sure that he gave me time when when I asked for it and and you know kind of taking me out going out of his way to to open his door for me. You know the Q and A I did his first season, talk, breaking down his basketball philosophies. I mean I I, I went back there and. Spent a lot of time with him. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I understand what you're saying and how it comes off on television, and, and it can be annoying at times. But, uh, you know, I also have to remember that, that Jim Boylan has, has opened his door to me more than once, and, and you know, I'm forever appreciative of that. You're the greatest, Darnell. I can't say enough good stuff about you. Uh, your articles, your, your must-read. Like I said, I've, ne- I've enjoyed every article you've ever written outside of that Thibodeau article. And, <laughs> and, and uh, you're definitely you're a shining light. The city is so blessed with you and KC to have you know, the right who cover this team. It's just we're, we're blessed. And uh, well, I can't thank you enough for your time. Please believe in us. Don't leave us. I always get worried about that, that, you know, New York or Golden State or somebody else will take you, especially now as things are turning around for the better. Well, and I appreciate all the kind words, Fred. I appreciate everything you do. When, you know, when I first got here, I wanted to know who the diehards were, and, and uh, you were the first guy who 
who uh, popped up on my radar. So you know, it's it's fans <laughs> like you who keep us employed and and uh, give us some some excitement about the job, especially in those down doldrum days. So uh, thanks for everything you do, man. And and no matter what people say. Keep your sevens alive, man. Oh, you got to keep riding that till the wheels fall off. The Red Leviathan is back. You know it. I can't wait. I'll send you a T-shirt when I get these printed up. I will rock it with pride. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thanks, Mira Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.